I love comics, but I've seen a lot of hesitation about them. I know there is more to comic books than what meets the eye, and I want to learn about and share all this medium has to offer. That's why I decided to get a group of friends who don't share my taste or opinions to help me experience it all. Together, we want to share what we find with every type of reader out there. So, listen up, nerds and future nerds. It's time for the VF Comics Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus, and this week I have with me Meg. Hey. James. Hello. And a special guest in a beautiful, lovely, understanding, very patient woman named Ashley. Hey. My wife. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh, I'm referencing Borat in 2021. (laughs) Anyways, so we've got quite a bit of news to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit about Loki just because it's on our minds. It's important and it's really good, especially this last week's episode. We have our first independently published comic that we're going to promote by creator Nick Helms. He has uh, got something going on at Kickstarter. We're going to talk a little bit about why a free comic book day issue is already selling for $20 to $60. We're going to talk a little bit also about should you even collect comics. Megan is going to go through whatever an interactive graphic novel is. I hadn't heard of this before today, so this should be really interesting. And then Ashley has promised that she has a recommendation for us that she really wanted to share. So to start off this week, let's talk about the most recent episode of Loki. So if you haven't seen it yet, which hopefully it's been almost a week you have if you're interested in it, you know that Loki and Sylvie were saved miraculously, not miraculously, but saved suddenly by the TVA when the timeline they were in somehow started to deviate. And that probably had something to do with the fact that Loki and Sylvie are technically the same person, and they were kind of having a romantic moment. Well, first off, uh, exactly how much uh, creative input does uh, your wife have on this show? She has all the creative input. She can do whatever she wants. So we're looking at a Yoko Ono type thing here? (laughs) Yeah, she's going to. Eventually, I will be here, and it'll just be her. Okay. All right, we're talking about Loki. <laughs> yeah, so um so Loki basically is in love with himself, which I feel like is par for the course. Makes and, it makes sense. And, and and who can say they haven't you know, been physical with themselves. But after I that, that, the episode okay. continues on. <laughs> the episode continues on, we get to meet the uh heads of the Time Bureau. Turns out it's a Wizard of Oz situation. There's a man behind the curtain, but we don't know who it is. We don't know what's who going on. But suddenly, towards the end, and this is where the episode gets interesting. I thought the episode was really basic and a little drawn out. But at the end, somehow, 
uh, someone sneaks up on Loki and prunes him. Which, so far in the show, when someone was pruned, I assumed they were being just obliterated from time space. Which is the why same he almost as cried. The alternate timelines. Oh, yes. When Owen Wilson <laughs> got pruned, I yelled. Uh, yeah, I, I lost it. It was not good. Especially because he was talking about he was just, you know, like, maybe in that time I had to jet ski. Stop. Uh, yeah, I can't talk about it. We can't do it. We can't talk about soon. that. So when Loki got pruned, I immediately was like, okay, Owen Wilson might still be safe. Which gave me a lot. I didn't. I did not. It's, I thought they were all dead. <laughs> I, I, I was just like, you're going to, I mean, it'd be a ballsy move to kill Tom Hiddleston at this point. But I mean, I'd still watch it going forward, but it's just, that doesn't seem like a safe, that was too dangerous of a narrative choice. Um, but then we have a post credit scene and would someone like to describe the first post credit scene of Loki? Oh God. Miley wakes up and what I assume is a timeline with multiple Lokis in it. Or maybe not, but I mean, he he shows up somewhere where we have all kinds of different Lokis. Some that have been, you know, I mean, one of them has uh, Mjolnir. So, you know, it's like... Oh, wait, I didn't catch that. One of them's holding Mjolnir? Yes, yes. Oh, and then there's like OG Loki, you know, the I love the, the OG. I love the older Loki in the classic comic book outfit. That was delightful. Did y'all see the alligator Loki? Yes, yes. Yep. that's all I care about. See, I thought it, that's all I care about. Also, yeah, that one is the weirdest one because the others can kind of make sense that Loki's still a person, but is there a version of Loki that's? I know in mythology he's transformed into animals. Um, <laughs> You know, he, he's made love to a horse before, but True. why would that Loki stay in lizard form? Is one of them stuck in that form? I have so many questions and we only have two episodes. All I know is that I described it to each of you already because I like to say the same thing over and over again, that that was the most comic booky thing I feel like I've seen the MCU do. It's just weird and silly and... I loved it. I loved it. it. You know, it's up there with some of the Guardians of the Galaxy cameo stuff where you do bonker mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's my favorite thing about these adaptations. Does anyone have any guesses as to what's going on? Because I don't, I, haven't, I don't read any Thor. Like I just have my mostly my MCU experience. God, are you still perplexed about the me. alligator? Is that it? About any of it? Like what? Where are? Where is he? What's going on? Yeah, he's he's somewhere that they send people when they're pruned. Well, I mean, you saw Stark Tower. You saw Stark Tower in the background, right? Yeah, I mean, they wait, may wait. all have their own that place that they go yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, no. There is a destroyed... They're in New York. There's like a destroyed Stark Tower there behind them. Ah. See, completely over my head. Yeah. I literally took uh, it at face yeah. value and haven't I watched dug it into slowly, it <laughs> scene I'm by scene, frame did it. by I'm frame. I'm going to look at that. Yeah, frame. you can you can compare. It's New York. Yeah, so it's like after, like maybe things went belly up in the Avengers movies, and he actually did do what he was hoping to do. Maybe, and that well, you know, and what's interesting about that is why would pruning him set him there? That's what's strange. Is there maybe there's a timeline where every maybe they can't erase things, and so when they prune timelines and people. They all go to another singular timeline. Like, 
there's an alternate timeline where every possibility exists. I don't know. I'm excited about it, though. I appreciated the next episode. I appreciated the subtitles when he asked, am I in hell? It mm-hmm. was H-E-L. So that was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really, really cool. Just nice attention to detail. So Loki's got us really excited. I don't know what's going on. Like that one, I figured that the timekeepers were not real, that there was something going on there. I think everybody did. But with that post credit scene, I am now lost as to what is going to happen next. Um, And if right now, I think the big money is on King the Conqueror has something to do with all this. Um, but I know very little about King. Of the I could see them kind of like maybe altering King's uh, character from the comic and maybe making him the, the man, but behind the behind the timekeepers. And then uh, you know, whenever he loses that, he decides that he's got to go out and like wage war on all these different timelines and uh, try to like reobtain the uh, the uh, timeline that he was keeping. You know, check on for that entire time. I don't know, but I mean, uh, it, it, it opens up a ton of possibilities. Yeah, there's just like an infinite number of things that could be possible at this point. I think, uh, considering that you know the workers of the TVA aren't aware that they're variants, there's just there's a lot going on there. Um, we could speculate all day. If I was to speculate wildly, I would say that Bob Newhart is going to wake up at the end of the last episode. And the entire show was a dream. If you don't get that reference, then, I mean, honestly, you probably don't. Wasn't that what they did with Dallas or something else? Now, Dallas, I think Dallas had a thing where like a a lot of it was a dream. But no, um, at the end of Bob Newhart had two shows. And at the end of his Mm -hmm. second show, the last episode, he wakes up and he wakes up with his wife from the first show. And the entire second show was a dream. Of the bomb new Perfect. Heart <laughs> Perfect. And they're both so good. Both of those shows are so good. I didn't appreciate yeah. that movie, yeah. I guess, when I was younger. Or not movie, TV show. <sighs> James. You know about so many things. That's okay. We still love you anyway. It's not Bob Newhart. That's why we're replacing you with Ashley. So next up, what I want to talk about is we have actually gotten our first submission about an independent comic that is coming out here soon. They just began a Kickstarter, which that's a link you are going to be able to find this week on our Facebook and Instagram sites for a book titled Vengeance Emergence. And it's actually being written by uh, the social media guru over at Retrograde Comics that works with James. His name is Nick Helms. And he has been working on this book and this idea in this world since 2007. He's tried to explore it through some uh, film scripts and everything and tried a lot of different ways to do it. And he's now turned it into a comic series. So he has been writing, I think up to five or so issues so far, and he's still hoping to write more. And he's even started his own imprint called Original Geek Comics, where he hopes to publish and create more series. So if you want to check this out and back this new book, uh, you can follow the link on our Facebook or Instagram. And just to give you a little bit of a taste of what it's about, we'll have some panels from the series. But it is about a college baseball 
player and investigative journalist named Nick Burrow, and he is trying to save his city of Metron from the Nightmare Gang. It has a very classic Golden Age kind of... I I think it's going to be maybe more violent and vulgar than that, but so far, like a lot of the descriptions and panels give me like a classic Golden Age vibe and feel of just like, you know, old Batman uh, issues where you've got these very specific gangs and trouble groups and he's going to stop like, them. Like uh, Dick Tracy Yeah, or maybe something? even like Dick Tracy. Um, but if Dick Tracy was a cyborg and a baseball player. <laughs> so there's a there's definitely a lot going on. I know he's planned a lot. Uh, maybe... Yes. My, Mark McGuire would be a... Per, you know what? That's who we're going to cast when we make the... Vengeance Emergence movie is Martin starring Mark McGuire and the bad guys played by Sammy Sosa. More old references, guys. First, we talk about Bob Newhart. Now, Mark <laughs> McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Ah, the relevant VF Comics podcast. Yeah, we have any Mel Torme fans on here? Mel Torme fans? What? What? You actually just confused all of us. Please explain this. I don't know what those words are. Yeah, I am the oldest person here, yeah. clearly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Melissa, Melissa Torme, isn't that an actress or something? Tomei. Tomei. Yeah. Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei. Is that it? <laughs> All right, guys, we got to keep moving. It's it's already late tonight. Because of Vinny, I'm so sorry. Yeah. We got to keep going. Yeah, we, okay, we, we got to move on because um, Grandpa is starting to get tired. Uh, and it's already late. <laughs> Anyways, again, the title of that book is Vengeance Emergence, and you will find a link on our Instagram and Facebook this week. Now, the next thing I would like to talk about, and James is going to give us a little bit of insight, I saw that there are people already pre-selling the Something is Killing the Children free comic book day issue. If you're not aware of what something is killing the children in, please visit last week's episode. We talk a bit about it, why it's become so immensely popular. But even though free comic book day has been moved to August, there are people online already selling what is a free book to pick up for 20 to $60. How are they getting away with this? What, what, explain this to me. Like I am a child. Well, first, there was the comic book industry. <laughs> There's Jack and Stan later. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, what's happening here is a thing called speculation. People rush to find things that they think is going to go up in value really fast, and then they flip it. You know, some stores are are cashing in on it. You, you know, somebody's going to make that money, I guess. Uh, you know, whether it be the guy who gets it and then sells it or or the, the comic book store that sells it. You know, it's sort of a shaky ethical type thing. I mean, this is some, you know, there's always been, you know, this enthusiasm for collecting comics and, you know, knowing how much your comic's worth and everything. But with the internet and the advent of uh, internet commerce, like eBay and other sites, I, I mean, you can, like, 
you know, get a stack of comics, go home. And if that one is, you know, if, if you have one that's just kind of blowing up, you can pay for your next five visits to the comic store. You know, I mean, you, you know, you can't really, I guess, fault people, uh, on the store end, I just, I, you know, I've got to make sure that I can get these to as many people that want them. And so, you know, whenever you, you have people who are doing this kind of thing, I assume that, that they're way over ordering, you know, to, to kind of compensate for this, or there will be people showing up at, at their shop who won't be able to get one. And if they want one, they're going to have to pay a very large amount of money for it. I guess the strangest thing to me is that because of the speculation, like from what I could tell, they're already, people are already paying for it to them on eBay to secure their copy. And I just, I think it's so weird that the retailers and people are able to like do that. And I'm allowed eBay's terms of service are allowing it considering there's not, a physical product in hand. Yeah. That is interesting. I, I, I mean, we offer pre-order for things like, you know, sideshow stuff and, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain variant covers. I mean, you're just basically having to kind of stick your neck out and hope that, you know, diamond you comes through dumped. for you or, you, you know, it doesn't get crushed yeah. in the box or, yeah. you know, whatever. But yeah, folks are, um, folks are being, Good old capitalist entrepreneurs, I guess. Yeah, and you're, and you're right. Like, if they don't take advantage of it, the pers- people picking it up might. I know that there are groups where you, on a free comic book day, you can really only get one of each kind of issue. So them and their buddies will all go in, each get the same one, sell the and then sell the extras um, for that money to pay for stuff later down the road. It's something I've definitely done with collectibles, particularly hero clicks figures. I've traded them in to pay for more boosters and figures. Um, but it's a dangerous road. And that, that kind of conversation leads us to a Forbes article that, uh, popped up recently. And the Forbes article that I saw, it was called what the hell is going on in the collectible comics market, which inside that article, I found a another uh, link to an article about comic value skyrocketing and should you invest. And so I was taking a look at it and it's as someone who's not in the collectible audience, I'm not trying to get everything. I'm not constantly trading and moving. I was really interested to see uh, kind of a base breakdown of should you even invest in trying to get a hold of collectibles? And the article does not make it seem too appealing. Yes, there are some neat tips there, but it's a reminder that collecting comics as a form and way of making money is a very difficult and touchy and strange thing to do. It's just not, it's not easy. So the couple of tips I just want to hide, I don't want to, you know, you'll be able to find the uh, article links in our show notes, but just to kind of highlight the different base rules and things they go over. The first one is collectability is partial is based on scarcity, um, which is basically, you know, economic, and they even say that, you know, economics 101 for the price of something to go up, demand must exceed supply. 
And so since comics are not made of the finest, longest lasting materials, usually that's why older comics seem like they're worth something because at this point, you know, action comics, number one, detective comics, 37, they are, they, they're not, they don't exist like they're in. If they do, they're tied up tight. It's almost impossible to find. Um, number two is they say that you really have to know what you're doing. And one example they bring up is that maybe you saw Guardians of the Galaxy and you want to collect all, you know, the first appearance of Groot. Most comic book characters did not premiere in their own solo series. Most of them popped up randomly as a backstory to another series. Um, Groot apparently first showed up in Tells to Astonish number 13 before Marvel was even called Marvel and were still Atlas. A monster book. Yeah. That, that series was like a monster book, pretty much. They introduced a lot of different monsters during that that i mean that's just one example you know groot's become very popular because of the movies but i mean think about it even batman and superman their premieres weren't in books called batman or superman they were called action comics and detective comics so unless you like one of the most popular well-known characters batman superman or spider-man you might have difficulty finding the first appearance reprints of the first appearance of those characters Especially now. Like. Well, the the market is very much built uh, to, you know, in the old days, people would collect runs, uh, issues featuring their favorite characters, things like that. But um, here recently, uh, the advent of, of what they call keys nowadays, these key comics are, uh, you know, first appearances, major events. Uh, things that might, you know, possibly be something that carries over in, into one of the movies or TV shows, things like that. And those uh, are the ones everybody wants. Um, there's, a, there's a whole new generation of, of collectors now who really don't care much about what about reading the uh, comic or really knowing anything about it uh, other than what they see in the movie. And they just want that first appearance to stick on their wall next to their, you know, toy Miles Morales or whatever. And there's actually an app that's... It's a toy John Stewart. Well, the uh, this app that uh, has come out uh, here in the last couple of years, I think. Key Collector app. I see it all the time. Uh, I see people on their phones going through back issues, looking at stuff. And I mean, people will buy any key because... They, they're speculating that that property, whether it be, you know, some side character or whatever, that's, it's their first appearance is going to show up in a TV show. And what's, and you would say, you know, okay, uh, first appearance of, you know, whatever obscure character that, you know, spot from, uh, from, uh, Spider-Man, you can be like, my gosh, that was like, you know, you know who would want you know the first appearance of spot but then you for you, you figure out oh well they're talking about him possibly appearing in, in the uh, spider-man movie and so marvel has has a history of pulling these obscure characters and 
you know, given them roles in these TV shows, uh, secondary roles. Uh, but, uh, you know, everybody's speculating on everything. You know, you can look at a book that's like, you know, 10 bucks one day and somebody, it, you know, some characters mentioned in a press release for the movie. And next thing you know, it's a hundred bucks. I mean, it can like change that quick. So, uh, yeah, as a store owner, you, you get kind of aggravated whenever you have people on their phones, you know, checking every, you know, key and checking how much it's worth and everything else. But, uh, we as a store have kind of learned to adapt to it. Yeah. It's, it's really what's driving the market right now. And, that's one of the other points they brought up is that the value of comics is based largely on perception of significance. So, you know, if you got the very first appearance of Groot back in the sixties, I mean, you just waited 50 years (laughs) hoping that that tells to astonish issue, you know, pops up. And unfortunately, like fortunately for, collectors i would say that the movies have made them more popular so there is the demand for these characters heck and to the point that you were saying that any first appearance of a character seems to sell um we just had uh joker's new uh i don't know if is it, it's punchline we had punchline show up and people wanted to get that first appearance of punchline just in case. Who knows if that character will turn into anything? It's pure speculation. But if they decide to put Punchline in the next Batman movie, that issue is going to explode. Yeah, which is kind of interesting, too, because, you know, DC is well aware of the key issues that they distribute. You know, it isn't like they're going to, like, under underprint it or anything. People buy a lot of these recent keys. You know, as they come out, they usually sell out. And DC promotes the heck out of it. They when they it's coming, they're like, "Hey, this is coming. Make sure to get this exact issue." For those of us who remember back in the nineties, that was what nearly destroyed the comic book industry. Was you know these companies figuring out that everybody was coming in and snatching up these books, and so they overprinted and overprinted and overprinted. And now, you know, as a comic book store, you see those books just floating through every time somebody brings in some books to sell. I mean, they're just like a dime a dozen. Yeah, the I have I have quite a few of them Marvel uh, books from the day with the holographic covers and the Spider-Man and Hulk 2099 and all that. And nobody. I mean, I'm not (laughs) predicting that something like that's going to happen or anything, but, you know. I think that the, 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 the industry has learned some somewhat from that, and the print runs aren't nearly what they were back then. But still, you know, I think that a lot of it is based on perception more than anything. Absolutely. And the last thing they take to consider, which we probably don't need to go into if you're talking about collection, the other thing they point out is condition is critical, and I think that applies to any sort of collectible you know you if a slight bend a kind of a scuff you know what the condition of the staples and how if they've torn or messed with the edges of the paper on the book can really change you know the 
quality and price by sometimes even for the rarest books by thousands of dollars just because like it got opened once when it first got picked up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, graded comics really drive everything. I I mean, whenever you're selling raw comics, the value of those are probably going to be a third of what it would be graded if it's, you know, a decent grade, but, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, CGC, the the main company that that does grading and encapsulation, was just bought this week by a huge investment firm, Blackstone, which is like one of the like biggest investment firms in the country. And you know, clearly Wall Street's now stepping into this, you know, and now we have this on on top of all this other stuff, and you know. It, who knows, you know, how, how this is going to affect the market long term. The company name sounds like a villain in a superhero movie. Blackstone. They're one of those acquisition <laughs> yeah. investment firms that, you know, and people are worried about it, about, you know, how will CGC handle this? Are they going to take the, the, their payout and all the people that really know about this stuff going to go and, retired to a desert island somewhere uh you know i mean i would i mean i would yeah i mean you know if if, if, if you get a big payout on a gosh how much did they acquire that for or 300 so and something maybe I, I can't remember but it was a significant it's money that none of us have in our pockets for sure which is why we have a podcast <laughs> and you know some of these uh investment firms that you know, step in and buy these companies, you know, a lot of times if they don't perform immediately, they start stripping them down and selling them for parts, you know? So who knows? It sounds like yeah, collecting comics and comics business is just as tight and difficult as any other kind of business. Getting into comics collection for the money is not something I recommend. If it's something and you're finding the things that you love, that sounds great. Definitely do that and get into it for that reason. But don't get in it to make money unless you're ready to dedicate your life and you already have a cool million on you. And you're if you have a cool if you have a million dollars and you're listening to this podcast, we're setting up a Patreon here soon. So make sure to go check that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so next, I want to hear from Meg because she recently brought up to me the idea of an interactive graphic novel. It's, I, you know, I almost said I've heard of this once before, but it was because Megan brought it up for the first time. I don't understand what's going on. So Megan, can you please inform us as to what the holy heck is an interactive graphic novel? (laughs) So, I mean, it's basically exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Interactive graphic novels, or uh, IGNs, they're basically just, they're a means of storytelling that um, relies on, most of them are web-based. And so it's, um, developers rely on sometimes animation, um, very vivid graphic, multimedia, sometimes there might be soundscapes, um, it's basically just a graphic novel experience, typically online. Yep. And it's immersive. So, yeah, there you go. Good words. So, so Look at actually inter- finding the words. So it, is it sounds kind immersive. of motion comic-ish. Um, what's the difference between this and just like YouTubing a motion comic? Is 
like uh, what makes it what's making it interactive well okay so let me give you an example of one that i looked at um so one of the more popular ones is called the boat and that's based on the short story by nam lee or nom lee maybe nom lee nom, nom, nom. i'm not sure how to pronounce it and that's based on the store sh- sh- <laughs> marcus and that's based on the short story by um nam lee and um so the boat is about uh, a group of people who are fleeing the Vietnam War by boat. And I actually was looking at this on my phone last night because I couldn't sleep. And so I was like, well, let's just get ready for the podcast by reading the boat. And um, so this uh, particular IGN was adapted by Matt Hewn and produced by SBS. And it utilizes moving images and um, soundscape. And during the beginning of it, um, when they're on the boat, my phone even vibrated like as the waves were crashing. So like, it's just incredibly interactive and it reads very similarly. Like the layout is very similar to just a traditional graphic, but it just is, is it's an experience. The reason I was looking this up is because recently someone named Meso Rich, um, began challenging this traditional, um, definition of IGNs by creating a physical sensory experience for his readers. So this is an interactive graphic novel, but it is not, web-based it is still a physical graphic and um the title of his book is the cursed swords logbook and this is a handmade leather-bound book and um it is meticulously made and crafted each one by hand to feel look and even smell like it is from the 1800s and so i'm going to read you a quote from meso rich He said, I aim to make my uh, first book loaded with interactive experiences, hints of history that provoke the senses. Feel, smell, listen, and glance through an adventure like never before. The process of interactive reading will bring the story to life. And so I kind of read on his um, website, he really wants to get people away from screens. And so um, that's kind of uh, one of his main goals by creating this. But, um, so he's only made a thousand and they retail for, uh, the, the soft leather bound is $75 and the, uh, hard leather bound is 100. Are these all gone already? That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's really not bad considering what he's doing. Are they all gone? I, um, I don't know. I went on the website and I couldn't find any more on Amazon, but I'm pretty sure that you can still buy them on his website. But I'm not 100%. Look it up real quick. Because the, the, the place to buy it was still there. But I didn't try to click on the link. And go through with the purchase. So I just want to check and see. Yeah, it's fine. Buy one, like, <laughs> but it, it was really beautiful. I mean, it looked um, really pretty. Item is for pre-order only likely to ship. Okay, so they haven't actually... They haven't actually... Okay. I know they're so, only making a thousand. Wow, look at Unless this. Unless they, is, I don't know, change their mind. The, I, don't know. I mean, like, something it's like very this, pretty. without the extra work he's putting into it, looks like it'd mm-hmm. be worth the $75. Like, this is incredible looking. Yeah. The art looks so good. Did he do the art as well? I'm honestly not sure, Marcus. No, answer my questions. You should know. I, I actually don't know. I demand. Wow. Look I just sort of assumed is. so, but I, I maybe. Actually, can we, wrong. if we can, do we want to order one? This is really, really oh, yes. Do it right well, now. I'll, I'll do it when we get done here. Um, it's really cool. The idea that That's it cool. even is harnessing like 
your phone's ability to vibrate, mm-hmm. that blew me away. Because before that, it sounds kind of like of a motion comic or, you know, a Harry Potter newspaper situation where you have moving right. panels. Right. Um, but the added the added sounds and even potentially the movement. Or just being, just having a physical component to it. Yeah. I recommend looking up the boat. Another one is the land of the magic flute. That's another popular one. And it's just a reimagining of um, Mozart's uh, opera, the magic flute. And it's, it's the formatting is a little bit different. It's kind of more a video. uh, Whereas the, the boat you scroll through and kind of experience that way. But they're really fun too. They it's just you're more a little bit more involved. It feels like, and they're really fun. It's a fun experience. Hold on. Yeah, I've got a long weekend uh, to to do nothing. So I think I'm going to read through a couple of these. And since I don't make any money, but my wife makes good money, we may order that seventy five dollar book, and I will let y'all look at it um, through a glass case. So don't let him live on your therapist money. Oh no. Social work. I don't do therapy anymore. Thank goodness. We both got out of that. Sweet. That is really cool. Megan, you're so funny because you were so worried that that seemed like a boring idea. I was, I was like, is this boring? But that is interesting as hell. You brought some, you brought your a game. Um, so now you're responsible for bringing up all your own news on your own. I'm not sending you anything in the future. All right, Thank- that's fine. Thanks, Meg. I legit did all this like at work today because we didn't do anything productive at work. We did not do anything productive. I spent at work like today. an hour on this. Don't tell your boss. <laughs> they weren't here. Luckily, Liz and Tara <laughs> they, don't they listen to this podcast. Go. But if they do, we didn't do anything productive. What? At work don't today. don't put this part in the podcast. Oh, I would have said gonna, that. I'm gonna highlight this on the Facebook page. <laughs> don't do that. We did. We did everything that needed to be done. Yeah, everything got done. I shelved the holds. It was fine. I, I also, also worked on this. <laughs> yeah, I I did some stuff too, but I don't want to brag about it. So, oh, Marcus definitely went into the break room at one point and just laid on the couch. For like half an hour. Ashley, it is time for you to tell us this about this book that you're so excited to recommend for us today. So the floor is yours. All right. Um, well, I actually got this book from James's store. Boo. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, well, somebody bought like- some from my store. Whoa. <laughs> I love the cover. It was very like eye catching. It's a big butcher knife. Um and it's got like blood forming a the Eiffel Tower and it was just yeah. Um so the title of the book that I'm recommending is The Butcher of Paris. Uh, and it's number one, which I did not realize there were four others. There are five of these, and I had no idea till doing this. So I'm gonna have to get the other four. So James, if you <laughs> order those, yes, <laughs> I need to do that. Um, so the Butcher of Paris is from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, it was written by Stephanie Phillips, and the art was by Dean Cotts. Um, and it is based on a true story and it's considered sort of historical true crime. It is about Marcel and I hope I'm saying this right. Petio. That is how Google said (laughs) to say it in French. 
Uh, it's spelled Petiot. Yes. Um, so Marcel Petiot is a French or was was a French doctor and part-time serial nice. killer. Good to have a side job. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, he was very good at it, sadly. Uh, so the story takes place in 1944, Nazi-occupied Paris, because why not? He essentially takes advantage of this situation and uh, poses as part of the resistance he tells Jewish refugees, hey, I'll help you get out of, you know, get out of the city, get out of the country. Um, but instead, he poisons them and steals their stuff. So he is a real piece of work. I I believe he was confirmed to have in the 20s as far as a body count, but it's estimated it was around 200, actually. Oh, my God. So it's a lot of people. Um, it uh, by the end of you know his his active killing time, it was both the Nazis and the Allies were trying to find him. So that's how you know you're you're in trouble. Um, so the reason I liked this story is I'm a big like serial killer nerd and not in like a creepy sense, more of I like the psychology. It's always creepy sense. (laughs) I mean, I'll I'll say this. She (laughs) listens and reads enough of this stuff that I sleep with a knife under my pillow. Like I'm worried. No, I I'm aware of what to look for. Um, but so I, I know a lot about, like, American serial killers, but when I think of European ones, I'm just like, Jack the Ripper, and I can't think of any others. So this this is really exciting, because I feel like I always run out of, like, serial killers to, like, learn <laughs> Sorry, things Sorry, that's about. hilarious. Um, <laughs> Dang, guys. I'm not going to say so we need like, more. like, oh, man, a new one. don't. <laughs> that's funny. And honestly, like, there, there's, there's a, a listener that's like, you know what, you're right. Killers. I'm going to go kill oh, a bunch no. of people right now. Oh, yeah. Please don't. The yeah. podcast no, no, no. said there's not but enough. But there's, there's been a significant, there's been a significant decrease, and they're not really sure that's why. Great. But, um, yeah, so. That's because they can't find me. But, yeah, I liked it because I got to learn. And then also the vibe is very... Like Sweeney Todd meets uh, Lav- Lavinia Fisher. Like, do y'all know about her? She, it was her and her husband, and they would lure people to their oh, boarding yeah, yeah. house. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And, uh, yeah, and he would, like, knock them over the head and steal their stuff. Meets um, H.H. Holmes. Because right, that like, couple also, house. yeah, they had, a, it was in um, a guest room where they had a, a, it would a trap door on the bed, right? And yes. the, the reason yes. they got found yeah. out is somebody so. did not fall through the trap door and got away or something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, really practical. Um, but, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> That's why she wanted me to buy this house with a basement. Um, <laughs> yes. I can Excellent. Uh, Excellent. assure you that I can always feed your need for serial killer entertainment. Oh yes! Oh uh, yes! I'm here. I'm, I'm got here. Some good I'm thoughts here for, for you. Yeah, I'll I'll listen. Um, I really like the art. 
Um, it's very bold and symbolic, like the cover art, especially the cover and back cover. Um, and the villain design, like the like Marcel and every um, every time he shows up, he has this creepy ass smile on his face. And it is it is so creepy. And he's got this bow tie. It just like he's like the best villain. Watch out. Here comes um, Phil Nye. Ah. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, so, yes. Can we have like a a serial killer graphic but it's just Bill Nye? I need that, yeah. please. So, but yeah. But yeah, this this can feed your need for true crime and uh you know, history and comic books all together in one. Yay, finally. So, yeah. Woo! I like nice. it. Yeah, I like it. Awesome. Yeah. Ashley, thank you it. so much for the recommendation. I love that I looked forever to try to get Ashley into comics and graphic novels, and you know, just took some. Murder. I just need to find some true, st- yeah. true life murder stories, and that's what my girl needed. Yeah. God bless her, and you know, mm-hmm. look after me when I sleep at night, please. So, for the final yeah. thing we're going to do before we close off for the day is. Before up until this week, we were always doing like a this week's recommendations, and I found that that took a long time, and we were having to force interest in things that we weren't really that interested in. So basically, I have told my two main guests, Megan and James, that if you just see something that you just are super excited about coming out, whether it be something at the shop or the library or something, this is the place I just want to talk about it real quick. So I'm going to begin, and if you guys have anything that you'd like to talk about real quick, please bring it up. I just want everyone to know that there are two series that are coming out this week that I'm very excited about. One of them is the next Bad Idea book called The Lot. And let me read you the synopsis for this thing. It's a little long. I apologize. I think I think my wife's going to like it. And it's very much something I think James is going to like, because I know what kinds of movies James likes. In 1970, (laughs) legendary filmmaker Oliver Larson began production on his latest horror masterpiece on the lot of Los Angeles' famed Cloverleaf Studios. Obsessed with bringing authenticity to the genre, the director insisted on casting real-life occultists to perform a genuine satanic ritual live on camera. Until something went horribly wrong. Oh, damn. In the bloody aftermath, the production was shut down, the footage was confiscated, and the soundstage was forever shuttered. Until today. On the heels of a promotion that's just made her the youngest studio chief in decades, Aviva Copeland is planning to overhaul Cloverleaf's fading image for the 21st century. Starting with the prime piece of California real estate that's gone unused for 50 years the very same soundstage where Larson filmed his doomed masterpiece. But as Aviva will soon discover, this corner of the lot may have been closed for half a century, but it's far from empty, and the evil that lives within its haunted walls will soon seize its chance to kill again. So um, it is being written by Marguerite Bennett, who worked on Animosity and A-Force, and artist Renato uh, Guedes, who worked on a very good... Elseworld series for DC called Deceased Hope at World's End. So yeah, this looks awesome. The it, the the time period that it's evoking, the idea that in 1970 
that someone filmed something real, which happened with several movies at the time. There were awful things that happened that were assumed to have been real things that were filmed. Um, like what's that? Is it, was it called Cannibal Holocaust, James? Yeah. There's a, there's a movie called Cannibal mm-hmm. Holocaust that was purported to have real scenes of people actually getting killed when they're trying to make a documentary. I won't spoil for you what happened, but I probably also won't suggest that everyone watch it. It's not a movie for everybody. Uh, <laughs> um, that's all I'll say. Uh, and the other thing that I'm excited about is Justice League Infinity. And the only reason I'm really excited about this is it's a continue a series that's going to continue where the Justice League Unlimited cartoon series of the early 2000s left off. I'm a big fan of, you can call it the Timverse, the Deaniverse, but the Batman animated series, Superman, Static Shock, Justice League, and Justice League Unlimited cartoons were all in a, the same universe. And so this book is going to continue where Justice League Unlimited left off. And I love that. I love, love, love that. So I can't wait for that. Anybody else see anything interesting this week? Oh, for next week, I'm looking yeah. forward to uh, Skybound X. Uh, Robert Kirkman's imprint is going to be issuing this new series. Uh, you'll get uh, little stories from a lot of his different books that he has worked on in, in the past, like Walking Dead. Um uh, there's going to be a story in it called Rick Grimes 2000. Uh, so we'll be getting a little look back into, into that world. And uh, there's all, they're also going to be uh, introducing some, uh, some new stories, new characters, and taking some characters and putting them into some different contexts. Um, I think that it should scratch an itch for a lot of people who have been waiting on, you know, Kirkman to go back onto Walking Dead or Invincible or, you know, something like that. There's going to be some, some good stuff coming out from that. Well, especially, I think, for Walking Dead, because the series seemed to end pretty abruptly. Like, the, the he was just very suddenly like, oh, by the way, next issue's the last issue piece and <laughs> just finished it yeah cool i look forward to that too we also have sleigh bells coming from uh from bad idea uh looks like one of those like great parody slash satire issues whenever it's called sleigh bells it's spelled s-l-a-y we have a gun tote and santa um, yes. Lots of, <laughs> of uh, mayhem comes with that. I'm really, I'm always the, the type that likes that kind of uh, thing. So I'm definitely looking forward to that one as well. It doesn't have the same plot as Santa's sleigh with Bill Goldberg, does it? I don't know. I haven't seen that. Oh my goodness! There is a low budget movie with like recognizable actors called Santa Slay. Bill Goldberg plays Santa. And Santa, a thousand years ago, um, is actually Satan. And he lost a bet. And so he had to be nice for a thousand years. And now, <laughs> he, so the bet's over. So now he can go back to being it. So it's Bill Goldberg, uh, the wrestler what? and football, former football player, 
Um, I think he played football. Man, I'm not aware of sports. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> That's his why big you're doing move was the comics, spear, Marcus. so I assume he was a football mm-hmm. player. Anyways, he um, he's just he's killing people, and that's it is awesome. Well, one Christmas I had people over, and that's what we watched as like our Christmas movie. Um, so cool, yeah. Um, James, if you can get that in my bag too, that is right up my Ashley's alley. We love a good Christmas horror thing. Oh, and there's also uh, oh yeah. I just want to mention this: Masters of the Universe Revelation. It's uh, going to be kind of a prequel, sort of a bridge between the old He-Man series and and uh, the one that's going to be coming from Kevin Smith. Um, that looks pretty good as well, and I am a diehard He-Man uh, devotee. That's uh, one of those nostalgia sweet spots that I always have to, to satisfy, so... Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to have to listen to you rant about He-Man sometime because I kind of missed the boat on that. I know Megan did not miss the boat because, or she kind of didn't miss the boat because she is a huge fan of the she adaptation that happened recently. You're right. I cried a bunch. I still have to watch that. It looks really good. It was good. real good. Well, so that's going to be it for us here at the VF Comics Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us. We will be taking next week off because we are taking a small vacation before San Diego Comic-Con at home gets here because we definitely want to talk about those panels and what's happening when that gets here later in July. Remember to find us on Facebook or Instagram at VF Comics Podcast. And also, as a reminder, in about two weeks when we return, we will talk a little bit about our Patreon coming up. We want to increase the quality and the output that we are doing so far and get you more comics content, get you better comics content, and hopefully get a YouTube going so you can see some of the things that we're talking about. And you'll get to see us on camera and be like, oh, man. They are uglier than I expected. (laughs) But until then, just pretend that we're pretty and make sure to give us money. Please, 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 please. We do have things that we'll give you in return. That's going to be it. We'll see y'all in two weeks. Bye.